scores! Gilmore scores! With one three left! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila in the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon. All right, we are underway this hour on Flames Talk. Pat and Logo from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It is Thursday, October 19th. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Logo. Hello, Patrick. Uh, It's Dan Vladar time. It's Vladdy time. Darth Vladar. Thursday night against the Buffalo Sabres. Start number one of the season for Dan Vladar. And let's not forget how important Dan is to this team's success this year. Because I I know that Jacob Markstrom is maybe the number one guy we point to when talking about who needs to have a bounce back season. And he does, no doubt about it. I think you and I are on the same page. He's off to a decent start, an encouraging start, I think. Jonathan Huberto is a name that we've talked about a lot the last couple of days. I'd put maybe Elias Lindholm in that category, uh, Andrew Manchapani in that category. And you know who else needs a bounce back season? Dan Vladar does, because his numbers were not that much better than Jacob's last year. They were just marginally better than Jacob Markstrom's numbers. And with how tight the Pacific Division is this year, with how much better it feels like it's going to be this year, you can have your backup goalie at 896. You you need him to give you an opportunity to win more often than not. And if he's going to be with the team all year long, because we don't know if he's going to get traded. I know there's a lot of talk about potentially him getting dealt. Hell, there's a lot of talk about him getting dealt to the Buffalo Sabres logo. But if he's going to be the... 1A, 1B, or the number two goaltender all year long on this team, they're going to need him to be well over a 900 goaltender too, just like they need from Jacob Markstrom this season. Yeah, it's funny because it kind of feels like to me, Dan Vladar having a bounce back season, Pat, is also going to help Jacob Markstrom have a bounce back season in the sense that if you're still able to go to Dan Vladar on a consistent basis, you're you're sort of leveling out that workload for Jacob Markstrom and making sure that he's as healthy as can be and also has enough energy because you're talking about hopefully uh, a late spring where you're looking ahead to a playoff scenario where you know who the starting goaltender is going to be. And let's be honest, more often than not, I know it's not the same with every situation, but the NHL is different than it was in the days of Mika Kiprasov. Your starting goaltender does not play 70 plus games anymore. There is such a, and I think rightfully so, um, an emphasis on making sure that your starting goaltender is rested and ready to go when it matters the most, that a lot of that falls on the backup being good, right? If Dan Vladar can't be trusted on a regular basis, well then, yeah, I think one, that affects Jacob Markstrom. One, two, I think that affects how this team is going to use Dustin Wolf going forward. We've heard, you know, uh, from multiple people in the organization that they feel Dustin Wolf is ready and will probably see some NHL time this year. So, yeah, I think for a number of reasons ahead and maybe even behind Dan Vladar, this is important for him to get things back to where he was in his first full season with the Flames. And as of right now, I I don't think there is a plan for Dustin Wolf imminently. I don't think that there is uh, anything mapped out as we speak right now. That's not to say there won't be, but I think right now, they're letting both seasons get underway. I think the goaltending department is letting Dustin's season get underway in the American League and letting him get settled there and also getting things going at the NHL level, getting Dan Vladar into a few games here. This is game four. It's his first start of the year. It's the first half of back-to-back before they go into Columbus on Friday. But I'll say this much. If Vladar doesn't get off to a good start and all of a sudden it's... You're like, oh, geez, it's, you know, he's just been okay, or he's had a rough couple of games. Mm-hmm. That Dustin Wolf conversation is going to ramp up 10, 20 times. Because while there, I think, are, are some upset that he did not start the year in the NHL, and there's also a general understanding of, okay, this is not necessarily something that's going to last forever. Well, if Vladar does not get off to a good start, 
that Dustin Wolf conversation, that's going to that's gonna get much, much louder. And I think it's going to get much louder on the outside. And Logo, I think it'll even get louder on the inside. I think internally that'll start to be a conversation that is had at higher decibels as well. Well, and that's that's the thing is when you say, Pat, I don't think they have a plan right now as to how this is going to go. I think it's all determined. That plan, to me, is determined by what Dan Vladar gives you in his first I don't know how long you wait, five, ten starts into the season before you start making that sort of idea. And if he plays well, then, yeah, maybe the plan is to push any sort of Dustin Wolf conversation later on. But I'm with you. I don't think it's going to be very long. And I think Dan Vladar is probably more aware of it than ever. Yeah, he's, knowing he how knows much, what's going on. Yeah, he was asked about it and uh, during training camp. And you can't it's, – it's impossible to ignore – what Dustin Wolf's done in the organization. The fact that the Wranglers and the Flames share the same building is makes it even harder at times. I'm sure he's aware as much as anybody that his start is going to determine a lot of what happens here one way or another. A few texts, 960-960. This is what if Vladar outplays Markstrom? Well, then he's probably, that, that, that's a good thing. That means you're getting good, you're getting good performance from Dan. Um, and this says, do you want Vladar to get off to a good start to increase his trade value? Well, yeah, you, the, the ideal is here. He gets off to a good start because that's better for your team on the ice. And if he's going to be here all year long, well, then you need your goaltending as a position to be better than it was last year. And Vladar is a big part of that. If the idea or the goal is to move him between now and the trade deadline, you want him playing good hockey so that he's in a spot that gets you a good return. So much like any of the other guys we've talked about, getting off to a good start is is quite important. So I'm curious what it looks like on Thursday night against Buffalo. Uh, a lot of people also wondering about, is it a showcase game for Dan Vladar? Because the Sabres are a team that, you know, is in somewhat of a need of a goaltender. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Um, but there's a big start for Dan Vladar. Big first couple of months. Big first few starts. I think for Dan Vladar, regardless of how start number one goes. As Pat and Logo, we're underway on this hour of Flames Talk on a Thursday, and we have a $100 gift card to give away thanks to our friends at 403 Local in Canyon Meadows. And uh, if you are listening on the podcast, unfortunately going to be a little harder for you to uh, jump in on this one. Um, but if you are listening live, you've got an opportunity at 960-960 to win yourself a $100 gift card thanks to our friends at 403 Local in Canyon Meadows. So here's the deal. Every weekday Flames road game between now and the end of the year, we have a $100 gift card to give away. Uh, I'm going to ask you a trivia question, but there are a few conditions, and I need you to hit all these conditions if you're going to be entered. I need your first and last name on the text. I need the right answer, and I also need you to put the word local in the text as well. So start it off with local, first and last name, then give me the answer, or whatever order you want to do it in, but that's what I need from you uh, at 960-960 on the text line. So one more time, I need the word local, I need your first and last name, and I need the correct answer at 960-960. We're talking Dan Vladar. We got the round table coming up in just a second as well. We're going to kick that off with Dan Vladar as well. So it's a Dan Vladar-themed question. Just giving you a little heads up if you want to go mm. smash that Google right now. Here comes your question at 960-960. What is the first North American team that Dan Vladar suited up for. The first North American team that Dan Vladar suited up for at 960-960. We'll give it a couple of uh, couple of seconds. Let the text come in. Uh, see what type of uh, what type of answers we get, uh, and then we will uh, kick on to the Daily Flames round table on this Thursday. We'll give it a couple more seconds, and then uh, and then let the answers. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll just because it was a it was a slightly more difficult question, um, I'll let the uh, messages correlate for a couple more seconds, and then we'll dive in. About five more seconds. I know that'll piss off some of our streaming listeners. We'll give it more time on other days. This one we're going to make it quite immediate, just because of the timing of the hour today. And congratulations to <gasps> Dominic 
Dominic, you are our winner. Uh, the correct answer is the Chicago Steel, same team that uh, Matty Coronado Matt played Coronado. for. Uh, so back in 2015-16, Dan Vladar stu- suited up for the USHL Chicago Steel. Congratulations to Dominic. I'll get in touch with you on the text line. You are the first winner of a $100 gift card. Thanks to our friends at 403 Local in Canyon Meadows. Whether you're a fan of sports or a fan of great deals, 403 Local is the place to be. Every time the local hockey heroes hit the ice, you can get two beers and a pizza for just 20 bucks on Sundays. You can watch the football game with 50 cent wings and happy hour all day with wings. Also on Wednesdays on Monday, dry ribs, just $5 per pound. They also have daily happy hour from three to six and lunch specials weekdays from 1130 to 230 plus 403 local is available for private functions. Visit 403 local in Canyon Meadows and at 403 local.com. Pat, it's Logan, it's Flames Talk this hour on a Thursday, and it's time for our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Get the chance to drive a brand new GLC 300 with zero down for $1,099 a month. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary Airport. Pat Logo, and now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. And, uh, Willsie, we were talking about Dan Vladar, and, and that's where we'll start off the roundtable as well, is he gets ready to make his first start of the season Thursday night against Buffalo. We know how important a bounce back is for him. We know how important a bounce back is for just the goaltending position as a whole. How confident are we that Dan Vladar has that in him, guys? Well, it's an interesting question because there's no doubt that the Flames goaltending tandem, which could become a trio at some point in time with Dustin Wolf waiting in the wings, but their tandem of Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar Definitely has to bounce back. But, guys, for me, that's way more about Markstrom than Vladar. I mean, Vladar last season helped the Flames pick up at least a point in 19 of the 27 games he played in. He went 14-6-5. and five. Pretty good. I mean, you look at his goals against average and save percentage. Last year, he was at 2.91 for goals against average. His career goals against average is 2.89. Not a big difference there. Last season, he was at 895 for save percentage. His career save percentage is 899. And he played about uh, half of his 55 career NHL games last season. So, yeah, those numbers were higher prior to the start of last season. But I didn't think it was uh, a terrible year for Dan Vladar. Uh, I thought it was more about uh, Jacob Markstrom and, you know, giving up uh, a goal on the first shot eight times. Uh, His numbers really dropped off year over year. And, hey, he's off to a pretty good start this season. Did you know he has made more high-danger saves than any goaltender in the National Hockey League with 27 of them so far this season? So I think a good start for Markstrom as he tries to bounce back. For me, guys, this season for Vladar is more about trying to continue to establish himself as a good number two goaltender in this league and to, if he gets a chance to, Maybe take a, a step towards proving that he deserves to, to have a shot to be a number one guy in this league more than it's about uh, bouncing back for him. I, I would say I'm fairly confident in a bounce back season from Dan Vladar. I think all the circumstances for him, you know, knowing that Dustin Wolf is is on his tail as far as competing for NHL time. I think knowing that a lot of people, not just Dan Vladar, had a down season last year for the Calgary Flames. And I just think that more often than not, Dan Vladar has been everything that I've wanted out of a backup goaltender for a team. He's, he's calm. He's collected. He gives you a chance to win. Uh, I don't think even last year, like Derek said, it was a down year compared to his career numbers, but I don't think that the expectation for Dan Vladar for most backup goaltenders is to provide much more. I mean, if he's a, a nine twenty and a, you know, a, a 2.0 goals against average. I mean, those are really, really good numbers and maybe pushing more towards, like Derek mentioned, uh, a starter's role in the NHL than anything. So I don't think even last year he was that far off of being a, a strong backup goaltender. So I think, an, honestly, a mild improvement could count as a back a bounce-back year 
for, for Dan when it's concerned. I just, I look at what he did his first year with the Flames guys, and he had people really excited. And, and he went on that stretch where he didn't pick up a regulation loss last year, and that had people really excited. And then he got his opportunity to, to maybe have the ball and run with it, and it dropped off a little bit. And Calgary's goaltending, not just Jacob Markstrom, but Calgary's goaltending, um, was just not where it needed to be last year. And Dan Vladar started, um, you know, more than a quarter of the games last year. And so I, you can't, I don't think you can have him at 895 this year and, and be where you want to be. Yes. Jacob is the guy that needs to bounce back, but I think you also need Dan Vladar to be a well over 900 backup or number two as well. So if 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 you want to call it improvement or rebound or bounce back or whatever term you want to use, I think it needs to happen. And in saying that, I I do I do feel pretty confident in it, Derek, because I I'm a really big fan of his, and and I also think competition boosts performance many many times. And Dan Vladar knows better than you and me and Logan that Dustin Wolf is right there. He knows how close Dustin Wolf is. He knows what the conversation is outside. He knows that internally hockey ops and the goaltending department are trying to figure out how they're going to make this work with Dustin. Like there, there's, there's incentive on top of everything else. So I'm a big fan of Ladars. I think he's got high end chops and, and I really think that he will be better this year and be closer to the guy we saw in year one as opposed to the guy that was a, a sub-900 goaltender last year. Guys, I think there are some stats that should be taken with a grain of salt or should at least be digested with more context. Plus-minus is one of those stats for me. If you show me a good team, I'll show you a team that's likely – pretty close to full of guys with plus ratings. Show me a bad team, it'll be the opposite of that. I'm not saying that I take save percentage with as big a grain of salt as I do plus minus, but I also don't think it was a coincidence that both Jacob Markstrom's and Dan Vladar's save percentages fell off a cliff last season because the Flames were one of the best shot volume teams in the league. They got a lot of shots at one end and didn't give up a lot of shots at the other end, but from year to year, the number of high danger chances they gave up skyrocketed. I thought they did a great job, as Daryl Sutter used to like to say, killing plays two years ago. Last year, you know, they didn't give up a lot of shots on goal, but when they did, it was almost always a great A chance, or at least that's how it looked to me. So I think you have to factor that into Markstrom's save percentage plummeting and Vladar's save percentage going down by a pretty good margin last year. So, yeah, Markstrom's definitely got to have a bounce back year. Uh, as far as Vladar, I don't know. I thought he was a pretty good number two goaltender for them last year. Again, if you pick up at least a point in 19 of the 27 games you played in, that tells me that on most nights, you gave your team a chance to win the hockey game. And really, that's all that I can ask from a goaltender, especially a, a guy who's a clear number two. I, and I, I don't I don't want to get into too much of an argument on it. I just they were still one of the best high danger chances against teams in the NHL last year, at least over a natural stat trick. So I I just like I just didn't feel like I did not feel confident, especially when things got really tight last year. I just didn't feel confident with either guy. And so far through three games, I'm with you. I feel quite confident in what I've seen from Jacob Markstrom. And I, I, and I just need, remember the year before that, you just, goaltending was, a, like, and I know it wasn't just on them and shutouts or team stats as much as goaltenders. I get that. But you felt really good about goaltending every single night during the 21-22 season. And I just, I never felt that way personally last year. And that's just, that's sure. just my own opinion. So I, I just want to feel that way from both guys. That's, that's mainly where I'm coming from, I think. No, and Pat, I think that's fair. But I think when you look at the, the high danger chances against last year, much like save percentage, it's all percentage based, right? Your, your save percentage is the number of shots you stopped uh, in comparison to the number of shots against. Yeah, the Flames didn't give up a lot of shots which means they didn't give up a lot of high-danger chances, but the, the percentage of the high-danger chances they gave up 
in comparison to the number of shots they gave up, it just doesn't really jive for me. There were way more high danger chances than you would normally see based on the number of shots the Flames gave up, is what I'm trying to say. So uh, I think it was a tough year for the team in front of the goaltenders and in turn, uh, a tough year for the goaltenders, uh, especially statistically. So that's the Dan Vladar conversation as he gets set to make his first start of the season Thursday in Buffalo. As he does that, by the way, it's the Daily Flames Roundtable. Derek Wills, Logan Gordon, Pat Steinberg along with you. Dennis Gilbert plays in his hometown once again. Remember how cool it was last year when the Flames rolled in there in February, rolled up the Sabres 7-2, and Gilbert had, I think he had a goal. He definitely had a goal. I think he had an assist, too. Um, And and here he is playing in his hometown and a really cool moment. Well, he'll be back in there Thursday against the Sabres again, playing in his hometown. He got the uh, ability to be in Buffalo two days prior to the game, which never happened. So that was pretty neat too. But guys, what, what do we make of Gilbert? What do we make of the competition between him and Jordan Osterley? And I guess the question, the, the more overarching question would be just what do we make of the number six defense position right now? Well, it would be great if Oliver Shillington was available. He would be a clear upgrade on both guys. But the, the cool thing with Dennis Gilbert and Jordan Osterley are they're two very different players. You know, Osterley, he's a great skater. He's got way more upside offensively, but defensively, I would say he's not as good as Gilbert is. Gilbert doesn't have the offensive upside, but he's more of a stay at home, physical defensive defenseman that certainly adds some toughness to a team that doesn't quite frankly have a lot of guys who would be considered tough. And I'm not saying you need a a fourth line or a third pairing full of goons like you used to, but you still want guys who who can bring that that toughness and that physicality. And Dennis Gilbert certainly does that. And what I just think about how the Flames have played in their first three games, and believe it or not, and I had a great chat with Kale McLean about this earlier today, I actually think they've played better in their two losses than they did in their one win. But... As this team learns how to play a different way in the defensive zone, going from man-on-man last season to zone this season, there's some stuff they've got to get figured out. They've got to get on the same page. And there have been stretches in all three games they've played where they've been kind of running around defensively, uh, trying to figure things out. So I think Gilbert gives them a little bit more stability in the defensive zone than Osterley does, even though you're kind of limiting what you might get from uh, your number six defenseman offensively. And, and guys, I, I brought it up earlier. I'll bring it up again. I do think that the physicality and, and the toughness that he brings, it adds something to this team. I think about what A.J. Greer has brought to the F- Flames' fourth line since they picked him up on waivers last week. Well, he's kind of given that line an identity. And when I look at that third pairing with Dennis Gilbert and Chris Tanev, you've got two good defensive defenseman, one great defensive defenseman in Tanev, and one pretty good one in Gilbert. And and those two guys keep it simple, uh, and their goal is to pretty much get the puck out of the defensive zone as quickly as possible, and when it's in there, limit the number of high-danger chances against. So I do think that Osterley is going to get an opportunity at some point, but right now, while the Flames kind of figure things out in the defensive zone, guys, I think Gilbert's probably the safer play. Yeah, right now I'm kind of in the same spot we were at points last year, guys, where I think that number six spot's still up for grabs. Uh, Derek, you did a good job of sort of hammering out the the positives and negatives to both guys right now. I'm not sure that either one of them in my mind has a distinct advantage over the other guy. I'm not sure that there's much you know, to, to talk about in terms of how different they are as far as impact goes in the game. How they play is certainly different, but... Um, the difference it makes right now, I don't know, it varies much. I, I still think looking back on it, you know, I know Dennis Gilbert doesn't play as much special teams. I, I still look, I mean, every other Flames defenseman was over 17 and a half minutes in uh, Washington, except for Gilbert, who was just over the 10 minute mark. I still think you want more balance out of your top six, this Calgary Flames, you know, core. And, and a lot of these guys are, are built on the depth of this unit. And I just think having anybody that's you know that far behind the other guys in terms of how often they're hitting the ice kind of leaves you with a hole there and that's kind of left to that rotating door that we saw last year pat with a lot of different guys coming in to fill that void and 
sure, it would be great to have Oliver Shillington there and solve that problem. That's not an option right now for this team. And I think somebody still has to come in and, and grab that role for me because I don't think Osterley and I don't think Gilbert's done it for me yet. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I like the way you put it, Derek. Like, I think that because um, I'm I'm where I I, I definitely am where you are, Logo, where I'm, I'm not um, I'm not solidified or I'm not like, well, this is clearly the guy because I, I just don't think that that we, we've seen enough of either guy to be there. Um, but I like the way you put it in that. I, I think it's the safer play right now because you know exactly what you're going to get from Gilbert. He's uh, not a guy that is going to take a lot of risks. He's not a lot of a guy that's going to make um, a lot of flashy plays. And generally, because he is rather risk-free, you're just going to get the, the simple play, and it's not going to hurt you. It's not necessarily always going to help you. Like, he's not going to be leading a lot of rushes out of his own zone. He's not going to be skating pucks out of danger as, as effectively as Chris Tanev or Noah Hannafin or Rasmus Anderson or others are going to do, but he's just off the glass and out, and he's he's more often than not not going to hurt you dramatically. And I think right now, as this team is still learning the way they want to play and need to play, I think there's, there's value in that compared to a guy like Osterley, who I do think there's a little more risk and the puck management is an area that has always been kind of a downfall of his game. And he also struggled in the, in the home opener. And I think that's going to be a big part of this while they're without Oliver and who knows how long that's going to be. And while there's nobody else that they feel confident as being the everyday six and maybe Osterley or Gilbert progresses there. But right now I think Derek, it's a, it's it's kind of a competition thing too. You know, Osterley did not play very well in the first game, so in comes Gilbert and he hasn't done enough to play himself out of the lineup. I think sometimes there'll be some matchup dependent decisions that go along with it too, but I I think having a competition when it's not solidified, having two guys that, you know, you're are kind of fighting for that ice time is a pretty good way to go about it. Yeah, and in a perfect world, I think both guys would be really good number 7 defensemen on a good team. But we're not living in a perfect world. And I do think that internal competition is healthy. Osterley, based on what he did in the preseason and his experience, got the first crack at being the number six guy. And as I said earlier, I think the Flames, despite the fact that they've lost their last two games, actually played better in those games against the Penguins and the Capitals than they did in their one win against the Jets last Wednesday. And I think that Gilbert's been a not a big part of that, but a small part of that as they just try to, get things figured out in the defensive zone. He's just, he's a safer player. Might not have the offensive upside. As a matter of fact, doesn't have the offensive upside and doesn't skate as well as Osterley does. But, you know, Gilbert's just kind of gone out there and quietly done his job. And he's not going to see either side of special teams. So he's not going to get that boost in his average time on ice. But I think he's been just fine. And hey, who knows? Maybe tonight he'll do what uh, he did the last time he played against the team he grew up cheering for and, yeah. in his hometown of Buffalo, and that's uh, score a goal and add an assist versus the okay. Sabres, and then but we was can start points. comparing them to Bobby Orr. Okay, exactly. I, I think I think we yeah. just did that. I think we just spent an entire <laughs> roundtable doing that. Uh, thank you, Wills. See you in a little bit. Okay, see you soon. He's Derek Wills. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames roundtable on this uh, Thursday edition of Flames Talk. Um, just as we wrap up the round table, I, I did want to make mention of this because I think it's important and it's important. I think to give all the context that we have, um, the flames at about, uh, what time was this? The flames at one thirty-seven PM on Thursday, put out a statement, um, says the flames have issued a statement regarding Topi Roney, who is a 2022 second round pick of the flames. The statement reads as follows, quote, we became aware of a potential legal issue involving Topi Roney following our selection of him in the 2022 NHL draft. We take this matter seriously and we'll let the legal process follow its due course. We have no further comment at this time. End quote. That's from the flames. And if you're wondering what it's in relation to, it is, uh, this, uh, this comes from Topi Roney's, club team in Finland. He plays in the top Finnish league with Tapera or Tapera SM. Um, and I'll read, this is Google Translate, so not verbatim. So please take that into account when I read this. This is Google Translate from Tapera's website or Tapera's website. Um, obviously in Finnish, 
translated to English via Google Translate, uh, but I will read it word for word from Google Translate. Uh, Tapper SM League team player Topi Roney is suspected of rape. The suspected crime took place more than two years ago. Roney has told the club itself about the suspected crime. Roney says, quote, Today I received a summons application related to this matter. The last two or so years have been hard waiting for the matter to progress. I trust that the related course of events will be clarified in connection with the trial. For the time being, I'm out of the team's activities and I'm focusing on handling the matter, end quote. The Helsinki District Court has not yet determined the hearing date of the case, and the case documents have been ordered to be kept secret. Roney was a minor when the suspected act took place. Um, CEO of the uh, team, uh, Mika Aro, says, quote, We take the suspected crime seriously, but we are awaiting for the court hearing and will evaluate the player's position afterwards. This is also about labor law, end quote. Neither Tapera nor Roni will comment further on the case at this stage. That's coming from the official team release. So um, that is where we are. I wanted to make sure that we did make mention of that on this hour of Flames Talk. Pat and Logo along with you. And uh, that'll wrap things up again. Thanks to Derek Wills on the Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book your winter detail package today for $349. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Minutes from the Calgary Airport. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, Pat Steinberg along with you. This hour of Flamestock is underway. And this is uh, this is actually quite exciting. Very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. And uh, welcome in a gentleman who is going to be here in Calgary in a little less than a week. So coming up on Tuesday, October 24th at the Memorial Park Library, it's WordFest. And uh, this gentleman will be doing a Q&A and signing books. Starts at 7 o'clock. I'll give you the information again. Uh, and that gentleman just happens to be six-time Stanley Cup champion, a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, member of Canada Sports Hall of Fame, and an officer of the Order of Canada, just to name a, a few of the accolades, and is the author of a brand-new book. It's called The Class, which is on shelves now. Very happy to welcome to Flames Talk. Ken Dryden joins us on the program right now. Ken, really appreciate the time. How, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, and thanks. Uh, I look forward to our conversation. Well, tell us about the book, and uh, this is your first book published since 2019, and uh, your re- really great read on Scotty. And this uh, this is this is not a hockey book. This is uh, this is a book that uh, goes through a really important time in your life and uh, tries to tries to catch up on that time of your life. That's the synopsis right. from me. But you're the guy who's going to give the much better synopsis. How would you How would you do it? Right. Well, it's uh, it's about our high school class. And I, I grew up in a suburb of Toronto called Etobicoke. And when we were in, in, in grade eight, we uh, um, wrote special exams. I don't none of us remembers doing it, but I guess our parents signed us up for them and we, and we wrote them. And and from four elementary schools, 35 students were selected to go into this special class at Etobicoke Collegiate and where we would stay together as a class throughout high school. And at that time in Ontario, there was grade 13. So we would be there for five years together. And, uh, um, and, the, and, and the thing, the question, you know, for me, and, and I probably started wondering about it 10 or 15 years later, and certainly that much more after that. Yeah. Is what happened to all of us? Um, where, where did we go? Where did we end up? We, we knew each other, or thought we knew each other in high school. Uh, we we would follow interests that people had. They uh, uh, um, and and the course of study that they may uh, go on to in, in university. But knowing what my own life had been uh, in the years since I had left high school, which was entirely unpredictable uh, to me, uh, and everything was a surprise, 
and other friends that I knew uh, you know, that, that their lives were not at all what they imagined they would be after high school. So what was it like for us, uh, the, the, the 35 of us? And, and for years, I wondered that, uh, but put off doing anything about it uh, until finally, uh, a couple of years ago, I thought, let's, let's find out. Let's, let's see if I can track down many uh, uh, and, and then if they're willing to talk about all of the years after that then uh, let's see what we come up with. And, and what was a surprise was that I found 34 of the 35 of us. Huh. Um, six, six had passed away, uh, but I found five, um, uh, five uh, in, in, of those students, I found family members to speak with. And then, the, and, and then the talks just began. And I thought that maybe I would speak with each one-on-one uh, two or three hours it turned out that probably on average it was 12 to 14 hours with each. And, and it, was, it was helped a bit by the pandemic. Uh, people were in, right. inside more with fewer things to do. But also for us at our age, I mean, and by that time you were, we were over 70. We were in the vulnerable category so far as, as COVID was concerned. And and uh, and we were feeling vulnerable and feeling old for the first time, and 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 now we're you know stuck in our homes, and surrounded by photos um, uh, from our lives in our basement, you know, filled with boxes that we promised ourselves that at some time you know we would go and look at them and uh, um, and never did. Well, now we could go back to those boxes and we could kind of rummage around um, and find ourselves uh, that, uh, in many ways uh, in those boxes and then have the conversations about, you know, the, of, of not just those high school years, not at all, but use that as a starting point to go back in time to the parents you know, of, of, of the students and in many you know, instances, you know, that, that we as kids in high school didn't know much about our parents, but came to know more about them later. Then moving on again into our careers, uh, into you know, having our own kids, having grandkids, and, uh, um, and the conversations just grew and grew. I'm I'm uh, I'm curious, Ken. We're speaking with Ken Dryden, who is the author of a brand new book called The Class on shelves now. He'll be in Calgary this coming Tuesday. I'll tell you the details about that again uh, in in a few minutes. But you know, I, I'm curious as as you go through that process and then you start to write the book. You know, I, I'm I'm curious how even you would reflect on how that would then shape you in the years to come, like just, just you and your classmates, mm-hmm. but you specifically, you go on to Cornell and then obviously on to your NHL career. I'm, I'm curious as to how that mm-hmm. shaped what would come next for Ken Dryden. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, again, one of the things that hadn't quite occurred to me as I started into writing it was that, was that uh, and this was a bit tricky because I was not only the writer of this, story, but I was a character in the story. I was one of the 35. And, and I had to make myself uh, into a character um, in, and, and ask myself the same questions. And as, and as I'm talking to my fellow classmates, and, and, and we're, we're all kind of puzzling through these you know, questions of why did I do this next and, and, and why did it matter to me and, and something else didn't matter to me. It was the same thing in, in my case. And I mean, I, I had like anybody who knew me in high school, they knew I loved sports and they knew I played hockey and they knew I played baseball and played on a school basketball team and played any sport that was available. But, but none of us, uh, um, you know, imagined, you know, kind of a career that would that would end up, you know, in in uh, um, in in that. I mean, I never right. thought I was going to play in the NHL. That seemed to be a totally other world. That was a Saturday night on a hockey night in Canada, and with 
you know, with people that I never knew. They weren't my next door neighbor. They would never be my next door neighbor. I would never be on that same screen with them. Um, that that what you know what my future was going to be, you know, was going to be going to university and then who knows what, and maybe law school. But that's what my future was going to be. I knew in the present I I loved to play and I was going to continue to play and I would play as long as I was able to be good enough to play and also uh, where, you know, my marks were good enough that my parents would say, you know, it's it's okay to play. And, And in the end, you know, no teacher said I couldn't play and no coach said I couldn't play and I kept playing. And, and it was, it was a surprise that, you know, that, that, that I was good enough. And I think, again, for all of us in, in whatever directions we ended up going, it would have been largely the same sort of thing that you, we had some things in mind, but we almost always ended up off on a different path. And, and, uh, and, and, and why did we, I mean, what, what was it about that new path? it seemed a whole lot more interesting than the path that had always seemed of greatest interest to us. So it's as, as I was, uh, so when I was sent the book and, and I had the opportunity to read it and as I was going through it, it reminded me of uh, my first year and a half of high school. Cause I was in a very similar situation where I was with the same about 30 people uh, for the entire day, it wasn't the the typical high school experience. I, I ended up I ended up leaving that that special placement, and 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 then my final year and a half, I did. But like that that also because I, I I found myself reflecting. I'm like, you know what? Because you were with these same people for five days a week and for eight to ten hours a day for for me a year and a half. You're like, yeah, the, th- those are people that. I, I don't know yeah. what 90% of them are up to now, but if I were to run, run into them today, I'd remember their personalities. I'd remember their face. Like it, it does, it, it does make more of an impact that way. Doesn't it? It, it? it does. And and one of the things, and, and you know, you're a lot younger than I am, but one of the things that you'll discover eventually is that, is that you may not at first recognize the faces that you will you know, cross paths with, cross paths with on the street but what you will if if you open your mouth and start talking and the other person starts talking you'll recognize each other's voices and that was just stunning to me I could not believe it and and again almost all of these conversations again they're they're happening during the pandemic only a few we did by by zoom almost all of them were just you know by phone so I didn't, you know, I, I didn't see anybody. They would send pictures, but but all that I had in terms of a of a of a of a, of a connection was the voice, and within ten or fifteen seconds, it was like that's Wolf Wallace. Like my heavens, I haven't heard that voice for over fifty years, but that is Wolf Wallace. I mean, just somehow in the words he uses, the phrases, the the laugh. When the laugh you know, cuts in, all of those things are instantly recognizable, and and that was uh, that was really fun and and a, a total surprise. It's um it's your first published book since since 2019, and and uh, I as I was as I was doing the research for talking to you to, to, you, to you today. I uh, remember reading Scotty, and it was just such a cool read. And this is is so different from that. Like that's a pure hockey book, hockey life book. And this this is not really related to hockey or your athletic endeavors at all. I I'm just curious the 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 di- you're you're a very prolific author at this point, but I'm just curious the different processes you go through writing a book that is very much about sports and writing a book that very much isn't. Well. I'm, I'm, I don't see the differences, you know, particularly. Okay. I mean, that, 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 you know, that when, when I'm writing a book about Scotty, um, and it's why the, and I can't even remember the, I think, I, I think the subtitle is a, 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 a hockey life like no other. Um, that, that, um, that Scotty Bowman um, lived this incredible life uh, of where he was, he was born in, in Verdun, 
in I think it was when, yeah it was in it was in 1933 yes because he turned 90 this September and 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 so you know that this person who was such a great coach how did he become a great coach where did it where did it come from um, um, you know this guy who was a pretty good minor hockey player had his career ended with a fractured skull started just you know, kind of going to games uh, and scouting a little bit. And, and as, as the Canadians are starting to develop this scouting system and things, but here, this is a kid from Verdun. Verdun at that time was, was largely English, Scottish, Irish with, with, with some French um, on, on the kind of outskirts of downtown Montreal um, People living in six plexes, uh, and and the families working, living working class lives, and but Scotty was was good enough as a player that he played on a Canadian sponsored team as a 16 year old, and the big perk was a standing room pass for the Montreal Forum, and where he came, he was old enough at that point. I think he was actually 14 to take the bus up the hill from Verdun, and at the top of the hill was the Montreal Forum. And every Saturday night, because it didn't conflict with school or with church, he could go to these games. And here was a guy who, who lived the up-close experience of hockey from the time he was 14 years old to now 90 years old and saw it all. And so as you're writing that story, you're, you're writing about a place. You're writing about a time. Um, and, and just as you know, is this book, I mean, one of the things that, again, was pretty much a, a, a surprise to me is I, as, I, as I'm writing this how did we get from there to here story, what I'm doing is also writing a how did we get from there to here story about the country mm-hmm. because we're living in, in these times. We were born just after the end of the Second World War at a time when Canada was 13 million people and just starting to spread our wings. And so what is that like? Uh, and so to me, all of the books that I've done, you know, whether it was the game, uh, you know, home game, I did a book on, on uh, biography of an average guy. I went back to high school for a year and did a, you know, sat in class every day to write about, uh, about you know, what, what a school is like, who's learning, who isn't, why, and all the rest of it. All of the books are about Canada. I mean, uh, you know, the different parts, different aspects, just as hockey is. I mean, hockey is part of the way in which we live. And it's changed, you know, how, uh, you know, how it fits into our lives. I mean, at one point, you know, when I was a kid, it was... There, was, there wasn't much else to do for a kid, you know, during the wintertime. There weren't many other activities. Um, and, and, and then, you know, that as time has changed, there are all kinds of other activities, other sports that kids can play. They choose basketball instead. You know, they choose baseball instead. They choose, you know, swimming or, or something else. They choose activities outside of sports. You know, the, the academies that are there for music, for dance, for, for other things. So, I mean, but, but hockey is there as part of the way in which we live in this country, even as the country change changes and even as hockey's place in it changes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's really what the consistent thread is through all of these. I mean, it, it's, it's just, a, it's a way to explore, you know, how we live, why we live the way we do, you know, the things that, that, that change over time. So Ken Dryden will be in Calgary on October 24th. He'll be at the Memorial Park Library starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, October 24th. It's WordFest. Uh, he'll be doing a Q&A, uh, signing books, uh, including the brand-new book, which is out now. It's called The Class on Shelves Now. And, uh, yeah, that is coming up on Tuesday, October 24th, and that'll be a really neat opportunity uh, to meet, get an autograph from, and hear the Hall of Famer speak. Um, just before uh, just before we let you go, Ken, we really appreciate the time on this Thursday today. Just uh, what what's happening in your life? What uh, what is uh, what is the life of Ken Dryden like these days? Well, it's it's pretty nice. I mean, we're 
We live in Toronto. We've lived in Toronto since, I guess, 1981 or so, and like it. We have two kids and four grandkids, and they live in the U.S. Northeast, and one in Boston and one just outside of New York. And uh, and happily, the kinds of things that I like to do, and whether it's writing or teaching or something else, that, that I can do almost anywhere. And and uh, and so we can spend some time uh, doing all of that. But we're we're okay, and uh, um, and and you know it's it, it's nice to have the chance to continue to do these kinds of things and and work on whatever you know the, the next projects and to have you know really to have these kinds of conversations. I mean, they're fun to have because we're all we're all going through them. I mean, whether you know, somebody's specialty is politics or sports or something else. We're all living our lives. And we're all trying to figure out what the heck you know, we're doing and, uh, and and how to do better tomorrow. And uh, and so it's it's fun to have something to talk about. Absolutely. Well, really do appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for spending it with us. Uh, congratulations on uh, the new release of the class and uh, looking forward to having you out here in Calgary next week. Thank you so much once again, Ken. Thank you, Pat. That is Ken Dryden. He uh, is the author of The Class on Shelves. Now, um, the, uh, the rest of the credentials I think you're well aware of, if you're not. Six-time Stanley Cup champion, Hockey Hall of Famer, Canada Sports Hall of Fame, and a whole lot more. It's a it's a super interesting read. I've actually um, the I, I I had never read one of Ken's uh, non-hockey books before. The Scotty Bowman book is is really really well done, uh, and and just like one of those ones that it's tough to put down, just because it's one of the most influential men in hockey. And there's Ken Dryden, who's a six-time Stanley Cup champion, um, and and here he is, and having these conversations with Scotty. Uh, the game, of course, is is one of the classics, and his uh, game change. The uh, book about Steve Montador, the former Flame, is uh, also a really fascinating and and I think important read. So cool to chat with uh, Ken Dryden one more time. He's here on Tuesday, October twenty fourth, at the Memorial Park Library Word Fest. Uh, it goes uh, starting at 7 o'clock, and uh, he'll be doing a Q&A, book signing there. Uh, once again, that is Tuesday, October 24th, the downtown Memorial Park Library for WordFest. Ken Dryden joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344.